0: The problem. Current markets are flooded with competition. More and more companies are competing for smaller and smaller profit margins. This cutthroat battle leaves the waters bloody. This is the red ocean. The solution? Swim away from the competition. Make the competition irrelevant. Find somewhere that is wide open. Create a blue ocean. Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton, and my name is Adam Jones.
1: Today we are reviewing Blue Ocean Strategy: How to Create Uncontested Market Space and Make the Competition Irrelevant by W. Chan Kim and Renee Morbogne.
0: Nice, mate. That was our third take of the intro because we kept stuffing up that surname, and I reckon you got pretty close. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that,
1: mate. I reckon we drifted further and further away with every, <laughs> every time I pronounce her name. But anyway,
0: mate. So this idea of blue oceans has come up in. Um, uh, a couple of other books we've done, specifically Perennial Seller and a whole bunch of other books talk about this idea. So I was glad to read it and get the full understanding of the the analogy. So you've got your Red Ocean, which is the current market space. That's what's known today and that's where all the competition is and it's red because of all the blood.
1: Mm. So with the Ocean, in the Red Oceans, the industry boundaries are known and accepted and the competitive rules of the game are known and companies try to outperform their rivals to grab a greater share of existing demand And as the market gets crowded, uh, everyone's competing more and more just for the same customers. So the profits and growth are completely reduced Mm -hmm. and you're in a red ocean where it's just completely bloody waters and you're just destroying yourselves and just destroying each other.
0: That's it, mate. Once the red ocean gets filled up, The products and services start to just become commodities. People are just competing on price. It's just a race to the bottom in that everybody's undercutting each other. This cutthroat bloody battle um, turning the ocean red, which is obviously not uh, a good place to play in because, as we said, very limited potential for profits, for growth, and it's just blood. Mm. Blood everywhere, mate. You don't want to be in the Red Ocean.
1: So the place we want to go right now, right? so we're going to get our sailboats so we're going to sail out into the clear blue waters. That's it, mate. So this is blue defined ocean. by the untapped market space, demand creation, and the opportunity for really highly profitable growth because no one's out there competing. You're creating in mm. this new blue ocean.
0: So they say that Red Ocean is all about competition, but Blue Ocean is about making the competition irrelevant. You're going out into this uncharted waters and just doing your own thing and the authors say that sometimes the blue ocean is right next to the red ocean and sometimes it's just miles away a completely brand new thing but either in wherever the blue ocean is the competition's irrelevant the rules of the game are waiting to be made and it's just a space where you can make your own
1: so to focus on the red ocean is therefore to accept the key constraining factors of war the limited terrain and the need to beat an enemy to succeed. So you're operating under these assumptions so these are how everything's going to play out in the business world.
0: As you say, it's like a violent visual uh, emotive imagery of this red ocean, this battle, of this war mm. uh, where is not the place you want to be. You want to be in a nice calm blue ocean where it's just you out there making all the rules and making all the dosh. So it's always going to be important to swim successfully in these red oceans by
1: out competing on, on the rivals but with supply exceeding demand in a lot of industries, competing mm. for a share of contact of, of markets will not be sufficient to sustain high performance. And so companies need to go beyond competing if they want to get the profits they want. And that's all in the big, beautiful blue ocean where the sun is shining.
0: Exactly. It's a nice place to be, that blue ocean. Oh, yeah. In the, uh, the middle of this uh, introductory chapter, they talk about how this book is similar to a couple of other ones that we've done, um, In Search of Excellence by Tom Peters, and Good to Great and Built to Last by uh, Jim Collins. But the authors, of course, say their book's much better um, because the reason being that In Search of excellence, focused just on the company and they said there's no company that's awesome forever. And then Good to Great and Built to Last, they said it was actually more about the industry rather than the company. And they say no industry is the best forever. So, they say they've got the ultimate uh, book, Blue Ocean Strategy, because they focus, rather than the company, rather than the industry, they're focusing on the strategic move. Mm. So, they say this Blue Ocean, it's about the strategic moves that companies make to become great or to to become excellent. So, they say that focusing on strategy is more important than focusing on a a company or an industry. That's obviously uh, their view and that's what the rest of the book is about, is about this strategy.
1: Mm. So, in a nutshell, the difference between the strategies is, is the Red Ocean, you're focusing on purely on the opposition in the market and trying to compete with them. But when you're on the blue ocean, you're focusing on the actual value you're giving to the customer. So it's all about this concept of value innovation and innovating in that area.
0: Mm value innovation. That's a they say is the cornerstone of blue ocean strategy. Yeah. And yeah. Equal emphasis on value and innovation becomes value innovation. Yeah. That's it. Mate, so they, they they give six uh six steps I guess or six things that you need to do but before we get stuck into the six things chapter two they give us analytical tools and frameworks so there's a couple of cool things here that they use throughout the book so this is just to sort of get us set up and one is the strategy canvas yeah and so obviously it's probably more of a visual thing but it's what they do is they have from top to bottom is low to high and then across the bottom Uh, horizontally then you've got all these different factors so they use an example of say southwest airlines it might be uh the factors that are important would be price it would be you know on time arrivals it would be the length of flights it would be the comfort of the plane or it could be the lounges that you have at the airport priority check-ins so all these different factors that go into airports and then different airlines will have different weighting you know of these things it might be they might have low price but then they've also got low Um, first-class, you know, perks. Mm.
1: So that's the strategy, Canvas. So you need to map this out on a, a, say, piece of paper or something. And so label all these criterion and then position where you are between 1 and 10 on all of this. And what you're going to find is a lot of the competition, they're pretty similar. They're competing on the same areas. Mm. But he's saying, or the authors are saying, he and her are saying that they should... Uh, You you need to compromise on some and then strengthen in other areas. And the way you can do that is by using the four actions framework.
0: Yeah, exactly. You can't have everything as high. So, they say there's four actions, which I think is really cool. There's like four things you need to do or four things you can do, which is eliminate, reduce, raise, and create. Mm, So, these are the the four actions.
1: The first question is, which of the factors that the industry take for granted should be completely eliminated? And yeah. this question forces you to eliminate factors that the companies in your industry have always competed on. So, If yeah.
0: you can find something that everybody's competing on and putting effort into and you realize the customer really doesn't care about this and you can eliminate it, that's a massive win first and foremost. So like some of the uh, airlines realize that barely anyone uses the airport lounges. So if they completely eliminate airport lounges from their offering then there's a whole bunch more value they can add in other places because you can't do everything well. So if you can eliminate one thing that no one cares about, that's a massive win.
1: That's a big compromise. And the second big compromise is which factors should be reduced to well below industry standards? So again, you can't aim to be perfect in every criteria. You need to choose things that you can actually just drop the ball on.
0: Exactly. So after you've eliminated some things, you've reduced some things, next we want to raise some things. So which factors should we raise above industry standards?
1: Mm. And number four, which factors should be created now that have never been offered? So, that's just yeah. pure innovation.
0: So, that's then if you're if if you look, if you're thinking of this visual strategy canvas, then the created, the factors, they're on the far right. They're brand new things that you're adding in that it's just you. So, there's going to be no competition there. Okay. So, obviously, it's uh, easier said than done, but they're the four things you need to do is eliminate, reduce, raise, and create. Mm. Mate, do we want to tell the story of Yellowtail?
1: Yeah, we'll have a crack. So... Mate, Yellowtail, he talks it up and they, he and her talk it up in this book. Mate, it's they a really talk wine, it They say I, it was
0: the best wine ever. Oh, mate, <laughs> I, I made a mistake
1: about six months ago. I actually bought it at a local BWS and it was yeah. the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted in my whole life. It's the most disgusting wine ever. <laughs> anyway, we'll,
0: but But apparently, they made a lot of money in the US, mate. It's an Australian uh, winery that smashed it in the US, apparently. So, they were saying that, you know, this this book was written in 2005. So, however long, 10, 15 years ago, they were mm. saying that... The U.S. alcohol market it was dominated by beer drinkers, you know, occasionally some spirits and cocktails, but most people didn't drink wine because it was framed as either really, really cheap shit, like they call it jug wine or cask wine or goon, uh, or it was really, really expensive, pompous stuff for snobs who mm. have all these uh, fancy tasting notes and uh, the wankers, essentially.
1: Yeah, all the wankers. So if you put a the strategy canvas, so to speak, of the wine industry, a lot of it was, you know on the level of snobbiness, the yeah. aging quality of the wine and the taste yeah. and all these kind of arbitrary things. So, over the yellow tail, they asked the, the four questions framework mm. and what they did is they eliminated above-the-line marketing and aging qualities. They got rid of the whole aging question altogether
0: they, yeah, they removed all that wankiness around the fancy, snobby wines. Mm,
1: so then they reduced the wine prestige and complexity of the whole range.
0: Mm-hmm. So, They just had the, the very. Small they literally range. just had one white and one red on offer. That mm-hmm. was a, that was all you could choose from.
1: And then they raised price, but they created easy drinking, fun, and adventure. So that's the thing they brought into the whole wine industry: yeah. fun and adventure. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's it. An, easy I didn't feel drinking like, mate. the next day after drinking that <laughs> disgusting. Mate, it
0: goes down like nails or cat piss, mate. It's not great. But apparently, they made a lot of money, so good on Tail. So, they
1: created a whole new market space. And then, you know, even the beer drinkers and all that who aren't necessarily wine drinkers, they could all of a sudden start mm. drinking wine. So, they, they sail out in the blue ocean of, you know, the whole new industry of beer yeah, drinkers.
0: exactly. So, if you think of the two red oceans of wine, there was a cheap shit, like the really, really cheap, disgusting goon or there was the really, really fancy, snobby, expensive stuff. So Yellowtail sort of went in the middle where they made something more expensive than, than the cask wine and they removed the snobbiness, so they just had this blue ocean all to themselves.
1: Absolutely. So part two of the book is formulating blue ocean strategy. And chapter three is all about reconstructing the market boundaries.
0: That's it. So we're talking about how we've got these confined, uh, defined spaces of the red ocean. And so, in order to find Blue Ocean, you need to uh, change these boundaries, reconstruct these market boundaries. So, looking beyond and they call it the six paths framework, obviously, something that just uh, made up themselves, but they're saying there's six places that you need to look at in order to think, how can I reconstruct these market boundaries and construct a Blue Ocean?
1: Mm, So, the first path you can take is looking across alternative industries. So, for example, people go to the movies for the same function that they go out for dinner Mm. So, these are not substitutes, but they're alternatives to choose from. So, they could borrow something, f- some of the qualities that people have from the night out, and then take it to the movies, and then there's a whole new, you know, bit of a new blue ocean.
0: Yeah, as you say. So, they, that's what they call alternative industries, where they're unrelated seemingly, but really they serve the same purpose, the same ultimate goal. Part two,
1: or the path two, uh, is about looking across strategic groups within industries. So, she has an example here of a Michigan based construction company called Champion Enterprises, who looked across uh, between two strategic groups of housing industry and prefabricated, So the, sorry, on site development and prefabricated housing. So, on one hand, the prefabricated houses are cheap and quick to build, but are very standardised and have this low quality image. But developers who are all about on site construction have higher quality but are more expensive. So, what they did is they went down the prefabricated route. But at the same time, they offered really high quality finishes uh, in their builds. So they had the, they added the high quality element to the prefabricated housing, and which no other of the prefabricated housing players were actually doing. So they created new blue ocean there and sailed a, a bit into the um, you know the, the developers kind of red ocean.
0: Nice. So, part three was looking across the chain of buyers. So, essentially, they say that there's a a purchaser, a user, and an influencer. And there are three different options that you can sell to. So, as an example, most medicine and pharmaceuticals are sold through influencers, which is doctors uh, who are selling it rather than going direct to the customer, the end user. And for example, that office supplies might be sold through the purchaser, which is the office manager, again, rather than going through the user. So you need to think, is there some way that everybody in my uh, industry is currently selling through and can I use one of the other channels?
1: Another path, number four, is looking across complementary product and service offerings. So again, taking movie theaters, it's really hard for the young parents to go out and go see a movie because they need to hire a babysitter. Mm. So, this is, you know, movie theaters could actually offer babysitting as a service. So, it's a product and service so they can add value to the to the, um, moviegoers.
0: Path five is looking across functional or emotional appeals to buyers. So, they're saying that you can either appeal to the functional use or you can appeal to the emotions of it. So, the example here is about concrete in Mexico. And so, they were saying that, you know, concrete in Mexico, normally concrete is just sold as purely functional. You know, you lay a slab of concrete and then you build a house on top of it, just functional. Whereas, this Mexican company went for the emotional appeal of it. Yes,
1: yeah, so they took the functional thing and then they they turn it into like, you know, we're building homes, we're building your life and then from a marketing point of view, just made it like a real emotional investment for them. Path six is looking across time. So, you know what trends have a high probability of impacting your industry so there's a lot of things happening right now in the world like you know many technologies are on the way there's lots of disruption you've got global warming which is creating the need for sustainable products so there's loads of trends that are coming on the horizon so you need to look across time to see what's actually coming
0: nice so in summary of this uh six paths framework Obviously, all the red ocean, you're going out there to do your research of, of the red ocean, you know, looking at your industry, looking at the strategic groups, looking at the buyers, looking at the complementary products and services, looking at the functional or emotional appeals and looking across time. So you're defining the red ocean and then what you want to do is find which of these areas can I create my blue ocean in? Where can I be different to my competition? And obviously, you don't just want to do the opposite of everything. You need to find the one or two key areas that you can differentiate yourself to create your blue ocean.
1: Mm. The next part of the book is reaching beyond existing demand. So, no company wants to venture beyond their red little comfortable ocean and find themselves in a little puddle. So, they're in a blue <laughs> ocean, but it's a it's a shitty little blue
0: puddle. <laughs> I like it, mate. Was that just on the fly?
1: No, that's... Uh, is that the used book? the word puddle. She oh, used the word puddle somewhere. I was but...
0: going to give you the credit for that one, mate. I didn't read that, but yeah, nice. Oh, fuck. I
1: should have claimed it. <laughs> so, how do you maximize the size of the blue ocean you're creating?
0: Yeah. As you say, you don't want to... Uh, just find yourself in this tiny little blue ocean you want a real Pacific sized ocean Mm. so the traditional approach to companies looking for new customers is finer segmentation so try to customise their offering and offer special, specific, individualized things to individual people or individual groups. But they're saying that the more you customize, the more you f- segment your market, the harder it is to actually be profitable still by offering all these different things. Mm. So instead, we need to be looking at different <coughs> sorts of uh, finding new non-customers to add to our blue ocean. Mm. So, so you've got, you got a good uh, example of uh, the big birther.
1: Mm, so yeah, there's, there's three different types of customers And what you're just saying there is when you're just focusing on your existing customers, you're doing finer uh, segmentation of what you already have. So you need to look at new customers and people who aren't really in your existing market yet. So The Big birthday is a good example of this by Callaway Golf. So this created a blue ocean view by asking why sports enthusiasts had not taken up golf. So why are the people out there who enjoy sport, why haven't they taken up golf? And the big part was they they kind of suck at it. It's a, it's, a tough <laughs> it's, hard, yeah. it's a tough sport. You know, you've got this little little head on the end of the end of the golf club and then when you swing, you miss it and hit the edge of it and the ball yeah. will fly onto the Pean Highway in Cheltenham. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually happened to me. It's a, it's but, a um, personal experience. So what, that, right? they, so what they did is they created the big bertha. So it's this huge head on the end of the golf club. So even the people who suck at golf can swing and they're yeah. likely to hit it in the middle of the big berth. So <laughs> yeah. that's a whole appealing to the whole market of people who aren't golfers yet.
0: Exactly. They've made it easier for these non-customers to become customers. So the authors say there's three tiers of non-customers. So the first, the ones that are closest to your market are ones who are sometimes buying your offerings out of absolute necessity. But in their mind, they're non-customers, but sometimes they will, if absolutely necessary, they'll buy it. The second tier is people who refuse to buy your industry's offering so they know about it but they've uh, voted against it they've actively chosen not to buy it and then the third is people who have never even thought about it don't know you exist essentially so there's three tiers there and they say that you got to go for the biggest catchment so there's no hard and fast rule. It's not do first number one first number two second number three third pick whichever is biggest and most easily accessible and it's going to be different for every company, and go for the biggest one to make that biggest possible blue ocean.
1: Oh yeah, so that's reaching beyond existing demand. That's it. So going on the new sailing and the new blue blue ocean islands, and the next part of the book is get the strategic sequence right. So there's four different parts to this, but the first thing you need to do is is it's all about buy utility. So is there exceptional buy utility in your business idea? I like it, mate. There's a,
0: that's a good question. Is are you actually offering good shit? Because they've got their another. They've got six stages of the buyer experience, and across each of the six stages, they've got six utility levers that you can pull, mate, so I there's, think, there's um, a bit of jargon in there.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think you articulated it better than <laughs> maybe in the book. They, they, they devoted ten pages to this, but. But the way you said it, is your shit good? Yeah. I think that's That's, that's by that. utility. <laughs> yeah. Rather than the five different stages and the five, six different aspects of each stage. <laughs>
0: so number two is price and strategic pricing. And again, there's a whole lot of uh, jargon in this about rival goods, non-rival goods, excludability, the free rider problem, network externalities and network effects. But mate, there's a, basically, is your price accessible to most people? <laughs> Is your price a good price that most people can buy it and it's worth buying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty common sense, so that's that. That's a simple one, yeah.
1: And three, the third one is cost. Can you attain your cost target to profit at your strategic price? I like this.
0: This. Is, this is interesting in that they said that you should do a price minus rather than a cost plus. So, they're saying that obviously, step two is price and step three is cost. So, you start with a price and then you subtract out your desired profit margin to get you to your target cost. Mm. Rather than thinking, here's the cost to make my price, I'm just going to add 10% to get the price. Yeah. So price first, subtract your margin, then that's your target cost, and then you work out, can we actually create this at this cost? Mm. And that's the important thing.
1: Absolutely. So that whole cost plus idea, you can just tell it's very, very red ocean where people just get on price. price yeah. The fourth one is adoption. What are the adoption hurdles in actualizing your business idea and are you addressing them up front?
0: So, in summary, they're the four things that you need to do to assess your opportunity to assess your blue ocean. Firstly, buy utility. Do you have something that's really good shit? Next is price. Can you what like what's the strategic price that most people can buy it at? Next is cost. Can you actually achieve the cost, um, which you know is price minus the profit? And then adoption. Are you going to be able to engage employees, business partners and the general public to adopt this? If you answer no to any of those things, scrap it. Absolutely. You have to say all of these have to be a yes in order to commit to this you know, and get, get to that blue ocean.
1: So at this stage, we have, have done a bit of scouting. We've found a whole new blue ocean. We've checked it out. It's not a little puddle. There's, there's a fair ocean there. But now it's the rest of the book. It's all about execution. Mm. So, you know when you go into a blue ocean, it represents a significant departure from the status quo and this is covered in a lot of books. So, when you go against the status quo, you're pretty much always going to have resistance as a default. So, this part of the book is all about dealing with resistance. We're going to have internally in say big corporate kind of organizations.
0: Yeah, this is um, very key for, you know, they call it organizational risk. So, there's going to be a lot of resistance and the first big hurdle is going to be a cognitive hurdle. So, that's the idea of, you know, the... Big managers and big leaders of the company thinking, why do we actually need to change mm. so in order to get over this cognitive hurdle, you need to what he says ride the electric sewer, which was an example from the New York Police Department. but you need to essentially get your managers and leaders to actually see it for themselves, show them the the front line, the operational horror that 's out there, and get them to actually understand the issues that they 're facing you know rather than just sitting at their desk in the ivory tower from head office just. Thinking everything's smooth sailing, mm. you got to get them out into the front line to see the shit that's going on, and also get them to speak firsthand to the most disgruntled customers and the biggest vocal detractors to find out what they're doing wrong and what they need to fix.
1: The second thing is resources. So instead of so you, with the blue ocean, it's not about going out and getting more and more resources to execute this strategy. He says, the, the real good leaders, the tipping point leaders, concentrating on multiplying the value or the resources you already have.
0: That's it. So you can either you know redistribute resources toward these hot spots of the blue ocean and at the same time, you've got to redirect resources away from the cold spots, hmm. the things that aren't working. So as you say, it's not about getting more resources. It's just maximizing um, the effectiveness of the resources you already have.
1: And the third is all about motivation. So the first thing is zoom in on the kingpins. The best way to to zoom in on the kingpins is not to appeal to everyone, but focus on the big puppers, the key influencers in your organization that people care about.
0: That's it. So it's like the natural leaders, people who are well-respective, people who are persuasive, um, people who have got the ability to unlock these key resources. They're, the, they're your kingpins, and you need to focus on on them.
1: So with the kingpins, you put them in a fishbowl, make them visible and transparent. You make them look like... like Gods within the right. organization. <laughs> exactly. And then number se- and the third thing you need to do is automatize, atom atomize to get the organization <laughs> to change itself.
0: Atomize it, mate. Make it like atom. No, make it like atom. So, breaking it down to... Uh, that, was, fuck, that was a weak gag. But, mate... Uh, mate, you're breaking... I've, been,
1: I've been whipping out some shockers the
0: last <laughs> few weeks. Mate, so breaking down the change into bite-sized pieces so that everybody knows the role that they can play in creating this blue ocean. So that not everyone can just say, oh, this has nothing to do with me, ask the boss about it. Everybody's got their own small atom of the change that they can create.
1: And number four is all about the politics. So, see, I'm going to butcher this word. Secure a consigliere on your top management team. So, yeah. someone who's highly politically adept, highly respected by insiders, knows all the landmines within the organization and knows who's going to fight you and who's going to actually be on your side.
0: That's it. So, if you're the, the wanker uh, guy at the top of the food chain who doesn't really know, you need this consigliere who's the guy who's been in the trenches and Sounds actually like knows. Sounds like a bit of a rat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> really. The double He's agent. The, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Absolute double agent. And the other thing in terms of politics, he says you need to leverage your angels and silence your devils. So mm-hmm. if you think of a bell curve, most people in the middle, they're going to do whatever is being done, essentially. But then on either end of that, you've got the angels who are the the ass kissers or mm-hmm. the guys who are going to do everything possible to make the company happy. Absolutely. And you've got the devils who are going to be the ones who are going to fight it. Hmm. So essentially you need to uh, focus on the angels and the devils rather than the mass.
1: Absolutely. So when Rat Timmy tells you, oh, you know, Johnny over there, he's going to give you a hard time. He's the devil. So you need to destroy Jimmy, fire him pretty much. And then, you know, Katie, on the other hand, she's an angel. She's, yeah. she's a great person. She's going to be on this board. And then you need to promote, yeah. you know,
0: Katie. Yeah, I like it. And so, it's counterintuitive that we want to move the masses, but in order to move the masses, you want to focus on the angels and devils. So, yeah, counterintuitive that you think you're not meant to focus on the masses if you want to move the masses.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and finally, man, so conclusion, the sustainability and renewal of Blue Ocean strategy.
0: Mate, so, creating a Blue Ocean It's not a static once-off achievement, but it's a dynamic process. Mm. So you make this, you're in the red ocean, you think, I want to get out, you go through all the steps outlined in the book, you make a blue ocean, you're happy, you're making lots of money, but that's not the end of the game because eventually people are going to slowly realize this dude's out there swimming by himself, let's swim over to him and uh, take some of that and cut his throat and make the ocean <laughs> exactly. red and bloody.
1: So, yeah, eventually the blue, the blueness is going to start to get a tinge of red Yeah, and then, you know, that's when you're going to start moving again. Exactly. So, every every blue ocean strategy is going to be imitated if it's a good one. So, as imitators try to grab a share of your blue ocean, you need to uh, launch offenses to take your hard-earned customer base.
0: Mm. Yeah, you do, mate. They say that you've got to keep swimming as well, become a moving target and always obviously looking for that for the next blue ocean. And they say that, you know, don't be so afraid to move on that you miss the blue ocean you're already in. You've got to swim as much as possible in the blue ocean, making yourself a moving target and maximizing the blue ocean you're in. But don't swim for too long until it turns red and then you're just uh, back in a red ocean, mate. So, you need to um, dominate the blue ocean for as long as possible but be ready to move on to the next blue ocean.
1: That's it, man. So, yeah, that's it, that's it for me in terms of notes.
0: Yeah, blue ocean strategy. Mate, so... When I, mate, so when I first read it, I was I was um, getting the uh, intellectual uh, arousal that I thought this is a sick book. It's a good eight, eight and a half out of ten, really cool stuff. Hmm. But and then when I went through the notes, summarized it. Normally, when I summarize a book, it gets better. This time, it got worse. I found that the ideas were very... Um, yeah, <laughs> it's.
1: A, I think it's a, an extremely strong analogy. Great analogy. It's a great analogy, very visual, and you can really connect with it. And it sticks with you for a long time. However, throughout the book, as we kind of alluded to, it just has a ten-page analysis of some kind of arbitrary concept that they mm. pull out, and when it could have just been explained in one <laughs> one sentence, right? Yeah. So I, I think it's a good book, man. There's no other books out there that really explore this idea of you know sailing into new market space. So, in terms of value, it's definitely worth a read because yeah. it, it will be in the back of your mind in future understanding some of the things it talks about.
0: And I think if, if you're at the top of a big organization, this is really, really important in terms of strategy and in terms of ways to implement all this stuff. I think for small guys having a crack at their own thing, the idea of the red and the blue ocean is important, but the specifics are much less important and much yep. less applicable.
1: Absolutely, man. So, what do you give it?
0: It started as an eight. It ended up as a... I want to say seven, but there's no sevens there's allowed no seven anymore, anymore. mate, so it's got to be a six.
1: Yeah, I mate, mean, I'm exactly the same. I, was, I probably started as a six, wanted to make it a seven, yeah. then <laughs> seven, so six. It's a six. <laughs> it's a six. <laughs>